iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, everybody. This is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks a million again for joining us. Season's still steaming on. I'm Stephen Jones, and alongside me in the studio is the great Alan Dimmock from Rugby World. And um, down the line, in more ways than one, uh, is Stuart Barnes. Very Dylan-esque. I like it. Exactly. Now, just to point of view, if anyone wants to book Stuart for um, evenings, uh, etc., he won't be available on Thursdays next season. Uh, with Arsenal almost certainly being in the minor uh, European competition. <laughs> so um, if anyone wants me, uh, don't forget, uh, I won't be free on Wednesdays when Spurs are playing in the main <laughs> Champions Cup. Um, chaps, uh, Al, um, your week, your weekend, any highlights, lowlights, anything you well, want to reveal? Is it, you know, it's interesting that Stuart said Dylan-esque because I'm sure we'll leave some blood on the tracks when we're talking about <laughs> a, a couple of these European Whoa. games. And and some uh, uh, yeah, there there were some fantastic moments that we can d- dug into, but there were also some proper stinkers. Stuart, um, we sent you on a, 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 a on a mission really to save uh, the north of, uh, north of England's rugby, but I think it needs a bit of saving, doesn't it? The nosebleed was pretty bad when I got <laughs> north of Stoke, but um, I recovered. I, I found my way to the ground without any problem. Um, it was a stinking match, but, you know, let's not forget, we've all seen our fair share of horrendous games. What really upset me, Steve, was this was the first leg of a, a round of 16 European ties, the biggest tournament in this hemisphere, uh, apparently, and 4,600 or something turned up to watch it. And, you know, I wrote in the paper today, um, rugby's about two things. It's about the excitement and the quality and the intensity of the game, but it's also about atmosphere, and there was no atmosphere. And I just think we, you get people talking about um, Ealing, their ground's only got five, only takes 5,000 people, they can't mm. come up. Mm. But if you've got a ground that can hold between ten and 11,000, but you always get 5,000, where does that leave the... I, I, I totally agree. And uh, that's obviously these are obviously thoughts we're going to continue and expand on now. We're going to go look back on the last 16 first legs in the European Championship Cup. Uh, we'll also uh, round up, or we, we'll be looking at the latest in the women's Six Nations. And um, here and now, let's wish a, 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 a complete recovery for Abby Dow, who had a nasty leg yep. injury. Uh, we'll be hearing from Will Kelleher. We sent our junior journalist away um, on the European Cup trail. Sadly, he was not allowed to. He's not old enough to drink in any any establishments <laughs> over there, but that doesn't mean he can't report back to us. We'll also have our god and goddess of the week. 
Uh, uh, but first, let's get into the European action. Let's just uh, make an overall point, chaps, and I'd be interested in your views. In my opinion, and I've thought this for some time, I'm not saying the Champions Cup is now worthless or it's not the LV Cup or anything like that, but it has gone down in the affections of people and it doesn't have, for, for me, quite the same ringing importance as it did. I mean, Exeter's got a great new ground which which wasn't full for Munster. It would have been, I think, for a... For a for a championship game, uh, for a pr- premiership game, Stuart, you, you know there was a, a token attendance really at Sale. Is it? I know there are other issues, but uh, first of all, Al, is it is it the tournament itself which is wavering slightly and looking for an, its new self? I think it depends on who, which clubs are involved. I mean, we've got to the situation in this tournament this year where some some teams have stumbled into the knockout rounds and you can talk about the format of that and how that's been allowed to happen. Um, it, it's interesting, I was hearing dispatches a couple of days ago that Montpellier only now have decided, actually, we've got a chance of taking a big bit of silverware here, so we'll redouble our efforts to try and win this famous tournament. Uh, apparently there was a missive from on high from their uh, all-seeing uh, leader uh, and financier that, that that's what they wanted to do. And there'll be clubs that just really this is potentially a nuisance I was seeing some dispatches I, I, I was reading Bernard Jackman at the weekend saying it's great that Connett were putting their lot in mm. to try and beat Leinster their their famous foe um, a really close match eatsy peeksy for a lot of it um, could have could have got a, a result had it not been for a, a, a potentially a, a, a going to offer 20 minutes rather than 10 minutes for one of the players Jameson Gibson Park but uh, I saw Bernard Jackman saying maybe they shouldn't have focused so much on this because they're not going to be in Europe proper next season from mm. their league performances and maybe they should do what a lot of French clubs have done down the years and focus more on their club competition. This should be the pinnacle, shouldn't it? It, it should be. I, I totally... It, it should be the pinnacle and always was, but I just don't think it, it, it is It is anymore. Stuart, um, no, there's no excuse for sale, um, a premiership club against against Bristol only bringing that number of people. What, what, where do you stand on the, the, the status of the whole tournament and what are your other theories regarding... So, well, sorry, we know what your other regard, theories are regarding sale because you wrote about it in the paper this morning. But just expand on that a little. Steve, I, I, I have quite a lot of sympathy um, with Europe here. I think they got a pounding by the pandemic like nothing else. The Premiership, when it had its problems, was able to drift the season months later... Europe had to find its way to fit in, and the way they did it um, uh, damaged the reputation in the short term. Uh, you know, you didn't have to qualify from the pools. We like our traditions. It, you know, everyone knows that it's the five pools go through and the best three runners up, and you have a sense of elitism. But uh, Alan's point about Montpellier, suddenly, you know, they lost 89 7 to Leinster. Suddenly, oh, we got a chance. And, and you were looking at teams in, in the last 16 with 28 nil wins and nil nil draws. So that whole prestige and, and the whole aura had fallen away, I think. And it's going to take some recapturing. Um, not this season, I don't think. Uh, I think this season, once you get to the last eight semis, it's Europe. Um, so you still want to win it. But even Exeter's year when they won it, I, I didn't feel that was as Europe should be. Uh, and if an old and grey hack 
is thinking it's not the same, then you've got to understand that clubs and players and coaches will probably be thinking the same as well. I, I understood. Stuart, just well, tell me another thing, though. It, it, there's no excuse for um, for it for being quite as bad as yourself and Alan say it was at Sale. Sale have, uh, have got some tremendous South African forwards and some very, very clever, clever backs. Why yeah. can they never seem to stitch the two together and why do they lack uh, why are they lacking so much in rhythm uh, I'll tell you what the AJ McGinty is so much more important than people recognize at sale without McGinty they they, they play uh, Robert Dupree who's bigger than most English international second rows at fly half and they crash everything they mm. clatter um, there's no awareness of space whatsoever. They become an unbelievably one-dimensional team. And it does ask a few questions at the moment of um, Alex Sanderson. He's, he's got a fine variety because at the moment, if they don't have McGinty, who's out injured, then, then Sale just become a very wooden team. And, you know, we're in an era that if it's obvious what you're going to do, even if you've got such a big pack and such a bulky midfield with Manu just running into brick walls. You know, these, this is an era when defence coaches have built brick walls that are pretty sturdy. And all Sale are doing, are bashing, breaking their nose, running straight into them. It, it's, it's very naive. Um, mm. And, you know, let's be honest, Bristol are not playing well. Bristol won that game, but they didn't win it because they were tactically brilliant. They won it because... Sale were just so wooden and 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 disappointing. The 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 thing is, well, yeah, I was going to jump in and say that it takes two to tango or two to fall in a tangle. I suppose with this one is, um, both sides were atrocious for this one, and um, I'm going to plagiarise myself here. I, I, I tweeted at the weekend. There have been Victoria era surgeries more clinical than this game because <laughs> there were just so many errors, and it was all compounded. We saw. Stuart's right. We saw South African World Cup winners, um, Olympic gold medalists go, and um, England international. We saw an England international scrum half break from a scrum, and with not that much pressure on him, throw a ball scudding into the ground and into touch. Hmm. And that was the game in a nutshell. And there were 15 seconds of joy when Semi Radraja strike move from a scrum went through untouched and scored. That was it, really. Um, there wasn't much to write home about. It was it was one of those that had you saying woof. Um, but, mm. you know, uh, just to touch on... And the, the other thing as well is that that match was the one that they selected to go on Channel 4. So people that potentially were watching their first ever game of Rugby Union on uh, lunchtime um, for, you know, free-to-air television and they watched that spectacle or lack of, um, which is, yeah, it is where it is. And just, just finally to touch on the attendance and atmosphere thing, let's remember as well, this is the exact same time when England women were playing Wales this weekend and got a massive attendance and there's so much goodwill around that and it's just an interesting contrast to see that at the same time. It is funny because no sailor at this 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 the new um, new look stadium and uh, with huge car parks and all that. It's funny because I can remember going to sail at uh, when they were playing at Stockport, which is one of the mo- most miserable looking grounds you've ever seen, and they used to get ten thousand people there. F- um, Supporting them mightily up this big bank, but there we go. That's right, that's, that's another story. That's a great atmosphere. 
Mm. Re- really brilliant Stockport was. And uh, the press box was good as well. There was a, there was a tw- <laughs> 20 people sitting where uh, you could only get, supposed to get five people, but there we are. Let's just go, let's just, uh, go through some of the talking points of the day, chaps. Um, Al um, uh, Claremont were at one stage a formidable uh, opponent at home, probably still reasonable. Leicester's uh, excellent season continuing. Yeah, it it feels like in the great stock exchange of rugby, these are these are two teams going in two different directions. Uh, Leicester's fortunes just keep rising and rising at the moment. Claremont, uh, I've heard some sentiments from France that there may be a couple years out of date, and that actually this is the end of an era for them. Uh, great club, huge community, um, incredible presence. Um, always flattered to deceive in Europe but been been one of the big boys for a long time and they just got like a boa constrictor they just got strangled to death by Leicester and their tactics just didn't allow Claremont to play massively and Leicester were hugely clinical and you know there are times where they just go here have that you can have the ball try and play this out um, Claremont could make a couple of breaks didn't really kill it off and then oh my god there's Tommy Raphael again Mm. And lose the ball, and it was just it was it was a real. It kind of felt like a, a pivotal performance from Leicester. It was a uh, you know, in, in years gone by, they probably struggled a little bit in France, and this is one of those where they went, you know what, this is who we are, staking the ground. We can see this off, and even if we've got a card and a player off for the last twenty minutes, it doesn't matter. We're going to score a try that, that completely bamboozles you. It was really powerful stuff from Leicester. And Stuart, Stuart uh, Tigers, um, possibly or maybe almost certainly now the biggest hope for for England for England um, uh, t- t- trophy. Yeah, I still wonder when they come up against the likes of Leinster, who can match mm. their power, if 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 they've got the experience. But I, I was very impressed with Leicester. I think there's a structure to what they do and the understanding is, is, is very good. Whereas, we'll touch on it later, I was devastated by the uh, lack of game management from Harlequins, really awful, mm. in Montpellier. Leicester just got it right to the point when they were clear and Clermont had dropped. The, you know, their spirits leaked quicker than Cameron Smith's and the Masters when he... Uh, hit it in the water last night. Yet mm. Freddie Stewart had the ball twenty meters out. They didn't. They didn't go for the big play. Another try. They put it into the corner because they knew 29-10, They had them on toast to go at home. Don't take risks. Don't do anything stupid. Control the match. And and that's exactly what Leicester did. And 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 Stewart, who you know, what did Leicester do? Four Ford's high. Kicks were brilliant. Stewards' chases were fantastic, mm. and then the, the the skill level to finish off the basics was really good. And I, I would say that they don't use the backs that much, but when they pass through the back line, it's very slick and it's accurate, and they understand what they're doing. And if they want to use their backs a bit more, they can. I, I, it, very impressive. Although Clement probably fielded a team who were more suited to playing in the European Champions Cup over 35 tournament, and that was an issue. <laughs> well, the, the, our great, uh, the doyen, Cami Lopez, is now, is now moving on, uh, Stuart, so that looks like uh, the end of an era there. Lads, let me just ask you, um, when you're leading 34-0 in the game, as were Montpellier, we'll come on to Quinns in a minute, because um, uh, Stuart's darlings uh, weren't very good in that, that, um, that stage of the match, but 34-0... Surely, surely, 
you can you can run the clock down to defend a 34-0 lead, Al. I mean, I know the game's got faster and it's got more difficult to, 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 to slow it down, but 34-0, and, and, and I'd say now, Quinn's narrowly a favourite to go through on the two legs. Well, like, I'm glad... I'm glad they didn't completely strangle it to death because if you're going to have two legs, you want the second leg to have a bit of intrigue for it because yeah. we've got to have something to watch next weekend. Yes. And, you know, Montpellier just weren't to be denied. And, you know, even if Quinns do come back and it's we can talk about how amazing it is that it's only a 14-point gap. It's still a 14-point gap. And Zach Mercer was really on one. Um, he was clearly enjoying playing in that pack and it's just good to see a familiar face thriving in, in what is a, a different scenario I'm more concerned not with what Montpellier did at 34-0 uh, but I'm more interested in what Harlequins uh, last play of the game Harlequins were 11 points down and they conceded a penalty which enabled Pollard to boot a penalty over and, and turn an 11-point deficit into 14. They were running around in the last minute, five yards from their own line. There was only one thing that could have happened there, which is Montpellier could have scored some form, which is what they did. It was half-time of the game. It wasn't full-time. And I haven't seen such bad game management. And, and you know, Steve, I've complimented Marcus Smith again and again, and it, it's one bad game. But he had one of those absolute shockers. He overplayed it in the first half and he just didn't do the things Harlequins needed him to do in the second half. And while you say they're favourites, I think had they been 11 points down, I think that would be the case. But 14, I just think that gives Montpellier that little bit of an extra chance. I was, I was, I thought it was a, a terrible last couple of minutes from Harlequins. They played mm. some cracking rugby to get back there, and then they panicked. They showed, All they had to do is get the ball off and just say, look, we've taken a pounding, but we're only 11 behind. It's a little bit like Schaeffler in the Masters. Take a bogey, but don't take a double bogey. Take your medicine and come back and win. Harlequins tried to play the wonder shot when all they had to do was get it on the fairway and take their bogey. It was naive in the extreme. We think we've been joined by Butch Harmon. Well, let's, uh, we've actually got a roving reporter on the spot at some of these games. Let's talk to someone who was there, uh, Will Kelleher. Will, with the exuberance of youth, you covered three games uh, on the weekend, three European games, a brilliant effort. First of all, what was it like on the road in the in the Champions Cup? Yeah, it was great. Um, we did the three, the brief Saracens Friday night. We did um, Toulouse-Ulster on Saturday, which I think was my favourite of the three. Mm. And then Montpellier-Quinns on Sunday. And you guys will know, our listeners might not know, but I was in the car with David Rogers, the, the famous Getty photographer. And so he put in a lot of miles. But it was, it was brilliant, actually. And Toulouse is a great city. And they played in the football ground. So there's a bit more whistling for Wayne Barnes. But I thought he had a great game, Barnsley. Hmm. He did. Uh, there's just there's one. You you did see one absolutely almost animal-like tackle in the uh, in that we won't dwell on the Saracens game, but the tackle on Ben Harris uh, oh. was, was one one of the worst and of clearly intentional uh, offences of the season. Surely. Yeah, I mean that was horrible, wasn't it? It was one of those stone cold red cards you've ever seen. Mm. Although that could have been trumped by a game it wasn't at um, up in Paris where Tolu Latu. Um, 
put in a horrendous tackle on Shuzanu, where the guy jumped up in the air and he just took his legs out from underneath him. And I was just looking at it, and it was his eighth card of the season. Two Will, reds, Will, six yellow. Will, you're absolutely destroying my uh, devil of the week here. <laughs> okay, we'll pretend we haven't heard that. Uh, we'll just go on to Toulouse Ulster. I mean, okay, uh, forty against fourteen men, uh, but but still decent, decent result for Ulster and uh, Toulouse on on the brink now because they now have to go to Belfast, which whoever you are is not 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 a pretty sight, really. Yeah, it was an amazing atmosphere, actually. And as I mentioned before, so much whistling and booing and jeering for Wayne Barnes. But he got the red card right, and he got the decision, Balakoon's hat-trick, where the whole of the Toulousans thought that he was offside, but he wasn't. Mm. Um, he ran it in. He had an amazing game defensively as well as in attack. And Hume, the centre, gave him a couple of nice passes. McCloskey set one up for him as well. Um, but yeah, going back to the Kingspan, going back to Ravenhill, Belfast, that's going to be... An epic game, I think. I think Toulouse will probably still back themselves, but that, that crowd's going to be absolutely jumping, aren't they, in the Northern Ireland? Yes, just to remind you that uh, Toulouse have uh, got a six-point deficit to take to to the stadium. So that, that's that's one, as Al says, it is important that for the spectacle, etc., that uh, these games are still in the balance. That one certainly is. And mm. um, we, we've given... Uh, Stuart's very critical of Marcus Smith at fly half, Will, um, saying he didn't have one of his best games tactically. Uh, also an odd game because at Montpellier, surely 34 points to nil up is enough for anybody. But... What was the? Uh, why did the match keep keep changing its balance? And was Smith really off as much as Stewart says? He really was, to be honest. I don't think I've seen Smith play like that for a long time. Actually, maybe since the sort of bad days of the end of Paul Gustard. But his kicking was all over the place. It, it actually was watching it from the stands. It looked a little bit like England in France, where he was sort of just looking around for guys. And it didn't help that Esther Hayden got yellow card and then went off for 10 minutes because it just lost all their structure because he strains the line for them so well. Um, mm. But yeah, his kicks were off and there was one particular pass in the 22 where he tried one of his pullbacks from the line and he just went to no one. He just went on the floor. It was, it was alarmingly bad for Quinns. And they, Danny Kerr was chatting to us afterwards and he was just saying, we thought we'd got rid of those sort of things that we do, but clearly mm. not. Um, I, to be honest, I back Quinns, I think to actually go and beat them Montpellier at home. Um, 14 points, they'll probably score a couple of tries early on and then it'll just be nil-nil again. It was a good, totally mental game, that one. Mercer was amazing, I thought. We haven't um, um, mentioned much of Zach Mercer, but he clearly had an outstanding game and he looked like yet another one of Eddie's desperate selections by shoving him over to to, to uh, France. Uh, well, let me just ask you one more thing that the boys should have been talking about and I brought up really. I don't think that this tournament is as big, feels as big or as dramatic or as sort of world-ending as, as it once was. Uh, it certainly wasn't at Sale nor at Exeter nor other places. Did you think the the intensity and uh, of the actual tournament was, was as much as you expected? Yeah, I mean, I actually wrote this for the Sunday Times and in the after watching the Toulouse Ulster game, and maybe I got a bit carried away because I was there and it was a sunny day and it was all nice. But I just thought that was such a great classic European Cup game, mm. and I know that Sale Bristol was terrible, and there were a couple of others that weren't brilliant. But that Leicester Claremont result was amazing. Um, I thought the Montpellier Quinns game was fascinating, and actually, I think the the last sixteen two legged thing is adding a little bit because you've still got these ties in the balance. Even there's a couple that are probably gone, like Leicester are not going to 
sacrifice 19 points, are they, next week? But loads of them are in the balance, and it keeps the drama going. I know it's not possibly quite the days of old Stuart and Miles Harrison doing <laughs> the commentary on Sky all those years ago and those great games, but... I thought I really enjoyed it, but maybe that's because I've had a nice all those years ago. all those years ago. It wasn't that. It wasn't, it wasn't that long ago, honestly. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was just before conscription uh, came in. Thanks a lot, uh, Will Callagher, our man on the spot. In fact, our man on three spots. And uh, speak to you soon, Will. See you later, guys. Enjoy the pod. Just before we go on to uh, lads to speak to about the actual the, the system of the tournament and the structure should say something about Exeter and Munster. Um, you always expect Munster to come out um, and give it everything and more uh, and be blisteringly uh, involved uh, and, um, and and unoptimistic. And, and in fact, they were. Uh, nor were they very good, though, actually. Um, it was the first time I've seen one of the new laws uh, which were brought in really affect the game. I think Exeter must have been over the Munster line probably six times and failed to ground the ball, therefore concede the ball to to the dropout. Uh, Exeter will um, kick themselves black and blue that they weren't gone by half-time. Uh, and Munster, fair play, um, w- 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 managed to come back, uh, took advantage of two really poor uh, sin binnings by the, uh, that's pulled by the referee. Um, so again, Exeter Munster becomes a great two leg game and plenty Steve, on it. Steve, uh, I watched that game after my sojourn in Sale Sunday morning, and I'd seen the score, and you think, oh, 13 8. And I thought it was riveting. Um, mm. I thought, uh, considering Munster didn't have men like Carberry and Byrne and Omani and Conway, uh, they put up a great fight. Yet we saw some nice rugby from Exeter. Slade was getting on the outside of their defence. Diolende was causing problems for for Exeter. And on the discussion on two-legged ones, I think that is a second leg that is going to be combustible next week. I I thought it was a fascinating first leg. I think it will be a thrilling second leg. Okay, uh, that's we got um, Pat Lamb and Tabai Matson talking about um, the weekend's games and this, the whole uh, structure of it. So let's listen to Pat first. We've come up here and been guilty of trying to overplay a lot in here, and they feed off mistakes. And you would have seen when we turn ball over, that's when the dangerous or give away penalties. But um, you know, so that influence, and then also, yes, definitely, like normally in the end, you'd, you'd go for more points. But it's just about, you know, it's only we're not even, we just arrived to half time, and so that certainly, you know, is part of the the psych that we just need to make sure that we get to get to uh, Ashton Gate for the second half in a good position. I think yeah. when we were down thirty-four nil, it was uh, it was pretty humiliating. Um, at half time, we knew there was going to be a response, and we were going to score some tries in the second half, but. Um, you know, the silver lining is we're down by 14 and we go, you know, we go back to the stoop and we showed a little bit of fight. For, for us, the, the first half, not taking opportunities and being well off the pace and probably cost us in the end, didn't it? Uh, we were determined to come here and put our best foot forward, but we definitely didn't. But the beauty is we've got another 80 minutes to um, to kind of get back into our European campaign. Al, um, the, the two-legged system, this two-legged system, has come in basically uh, in a panicked uh, measure because of COVID. But does it have something? Should they keep it? Well, it's an interesting one. We were, I was talking about this with producer Alfie um, before this because he's, he's not a fan. I think it's Dura, it's in football, so we're used to seeing it. And I can understand the thought process behind it. You know, we've come out of this tough time. There's all this chat about uh, a 
um, a cross hemisphere uh, club competition to try and take a bite out of another cherry. You know, we've talked about the the travails of the European Cup. There's certainly a sense that it's losing something. So you can understand why they want to extend their footprint. So I can understand. I I agree with Will actually, who who said earlier that it, it adds a little something. So long as what we've talked about is teams treat it properly. So actually, we've got some incredible ties that are in the balance here that you can honestly say I don't know which way they're going to go. Personally, I don't have a massive hang up on on the way it used to be or that it was a straight knockout. And and there's an interesting thing here, and I'd be I'd love to know Stuart's view on it is. Whether we think that the home advantage is is what it used to be, considering some of the results we've seen this weekend, um, the one. problem is, you see, we get to the stage now. We're in knockouts, and the pools are over. And you would be looking at the big teams would be having home advantage, and therefore naturally they'd be winning the game. Uh, it's it's a, a, a random mix. Yeah, Leinster were playing away. That is not right. Um, and that is the issue. But the, the, I like the I like a pool of sixteen. But you can't have a round of sixteen if you're going to have six um, pool matches, because players, professional rugby players, do occasionally need a break. You can't keep playing. Mm. The round of sixteen came in because they lost matches. They were regaining one. Um, I don't mind the idea, but I think we'll have to lose it because I think uh, pools with a rigid structure for winners and runners up is by far the fairest and best way. And if a European Cup isn't fair in the gap between pool and knockout, that's when it doesn't work. And perhaps, Steve, that's why we've got this slightly jaundiced approach, because you end up with Connacht playing at home to Leicester and Leinster, and you're thinking that shouldn't be the case. Mm. I, I, I think I agree, I agree with that as well. There are some, there are some nice ties, and I think what we might do now is about just whiz through them, and then we'll uh, we'll tell our viewers, uh, listeners rather, who's going to come through. So we'll just yeah. we'll do it rapidly. Connaught uh, uh, take a, a five point de- uh, deficit uh, home to, uh, sorry, away to uh, Leinster. So they're already behind. So any objection to us putting Le- Leinster through there, boys? No, absolutely not. And that match will be at the Aviva as well, I believe. So. There's going to be a huge number in Dublin. I think that I think you'd be silly to vote against Leinster there. Sure, La Rochelle, thirty-one uh, thirteen, already up against against Bordeaux. Now La Rochelle going home. So surely again, that's one of these odd things where the French team or one of the French teams doesn't appear to be that interested. La Rochelle played beautifully on the weekend. So it seems to be that La Rochelle can only uh, extend their um, their advantage there, Stuart. Ronan O'Gara is one of the great men of uh, Heineken Cup years yes. and he's transplanting that uh, enthusiasm to La Rochelle. That's a big win. Bordeaux have got some good players. They've been mm. playing pretty well in France. Uh, game over. La Rochelle will not drop that lead at home. Bristol sale, Al. Um, I don't think anyone... Be, will, they won't be flooding in to watch it, I wouldn't have thought, but uh, after Saturday, but... Uh, Sale, <clears throat> well, Sale have got one chance to do something this season, and surely this is it uh, away in Bristol. It is, um, but I could, you know, we've we've got the the playoffs hunt in the to consider in the in the Premiership as well, and I think this is really all Bristol have got to play for this season. They're at mm. home. Um, Mark Evans has talked on this podcast about that being a rugby city in love with their team, regardless of what the what's going on on the pitch. So I, could, I, I reckon the home team will probably edge that. Sure. To lose Ulster, we've we've already said. Will's already said that um, he fancies Ulster to to finish the job. To, uh, Stuart, um, 
Toulouse still got some pedigrees out there. Um, we'll have 15 men probably. Uh, very tight. I, I think that's the by a mile, by a mile, the game of the weekend. It's classic. Oh, uh, you know, uh, we'll mention the fact that I commentated a lot and I've, I've covered a huge number of grounds in the past. And Ravenhill was always one of my favourite. And Ulster are, are going well in Europe, even before they'd, they'd won in uh, uh, in Clermont this season. This will take to lose to put in a European champions performance. They'll have to be a lot better than they were in last year's final or sure. semi-final sure. to win it. And, and I just get the feeling since the Grand Slam, you know, they lost the other week with all their big guns playing 12-3 to cast. I think whilst uh, Racine and Montpellier keep going, Toulouse are taking their eye off the ball and it is going to take a huge effort to win uh, in Belfast next week. Um, I think it will be close because when you've got DuPont playing, then he can turn a game around in, in, in the click of a finger. But... Yes, I think Ulster will win, but no, I wouldn't be surprised if Toulouse uh, pulled it back. That's the game. If you could only watch one match uh, out of eight, th- th- there wouldn't be a question mark about what it would, what it is. Sure, Exeter. Um, I think the thing is with Exeter, they will be up against it massively in Munster, but Exeter know that they are superior in some key areas. So I don't know about you, Al. I got Exeter to, to, to beat Munster in Munster. Yeah, Munster have had a hell of a, uh, a lot of. Um, Stuart mentioned it there. That there's players out. They've they've got, mm. lost a lot of players to injury. Uh, I think maybe just a bridge too far, and I think Exeter will probably squeak that one. In, yeah. in the Battle of Paris, Stuart um, Racing twenty two nine ahead over Stad, and have really got the wool over them uh, almost every yeah. every season. I mean, Stad obviously going to battle like hell, but uh, Racing should put them away conclusively, yeah, right. surely. Rass in a different class to them. Uh, can I just briefly say, uh, I think Munster will win. Mm-hmm. I think Toman Park and a few players returning will make the difference. So Munster, and as you asked the question, Rassin. Okay, and uh, the, the, the one of the key games, Montpellier, Harlequins, uh, Montpellier, should they start well and score early, you've got a great chance, but you just sense that something soft in there somewhere um, and uh, the Harlequins have got a great chance, Al. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go against the the grain here. I, yeah. I think Montpellier with the renewed focus or or the demands of a new focus. I I, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe something's coming from them and they're they're monstrous pack. Okay, fine. And I think that Leinster. I mean, Claremont may well not even bring a first team over for that. I think Leinster. But what even if they did, I think Leicester would win. So those are our eight for the next round. Those are our talking points. Uh, and next is high time we spoke about the women's Six Nations over the weekend and amazing scenes at Gloucester. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Let's um, go to the Women's Six Nations and um, a record crowd at Kingsholm for the England-Wales game. 
and uh, the pressure now on in the biggest club ground that we we have in England for uh, at Leicester because the next uh, test match is at Leicester and they have to beat something like a crowd of something like 14,000 I think uh, to to beat the new record so absolutely brilliant um um uh, I watched the game on uh, replay brilliant um atmosphere brilliant scenes uh fantastic appeal uh, really, really, after the first 10 minutes, one-sided game. Al, is this the problem that they've got that yeah. in the Six Nations that eventually Wales are improved, no doubt about it, but they lost by 53 points? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you asked this because I think it's important to, to put an exclamation mark against the positives mm. that we've had. Attendances are climbing. We already know that there's a massive game at the end of the tournament. Um, England are travelling to France. We know that that's going to be a sellout in Bayonne and we know what to expect from that. The discourse around it has been brilliant. Um, you know, there's been a lot more coverage, and, and long may that continue. But the elephant in the room is the fact that it's kind of a procession for for England at the moment. And you know, Scotland put up an incredibly brave performance against France in the second half, and mm. they'll be incredibly proud about that. But it just shows you the the distance between these top teams, um, England and France, and the rest, in that even if France don't turn in an amazing performance, they can they can do enough, more than enough. And there's I've heard renewed calls in Scotland, and we'll hear more and more of those about professionalism. We've got the, the WXV tournament is coming, so that we'll see test teams playing against each other more often, so that if you get a chance to go and check out what WXV is all about, and it's effectively, if we think of it as an autumn cup for for the women's game and we should see over time that raise standards up whilst people also try and professionalise but you know you've got to walk before you can run and it's amazing what Wales have achieved so far uh, two wins an incredible turnaround from where they've been but they couldn't lay a glove on England and the distance between them is is vast so take the positives from how, how Wales have done but England's just look irresistible at the moment and almost regardless of what team they put out I mean, if you can call up um, Byrne and Packer and just go off you go, they cause havoc. Hmm. Marley Packer is certainly um, sensational, probably playing out of his skin. And um, Helen Aron, fly half, um, as, as, as possibly um, filled a gap led by, um, uh, you know, filled one of the gaps that they had in midfield. Emily Scarrett is back. Very, very impressive indeed. Sarah Byrne playing completely off the planet really with the ball in hand and in and in the scrum yeah if I um, Steve if I can just jump in and, and say something else about Scotland the interesting thing is that they've got Italy and Ireland to come up Ireland are actually going to lose a lot of their sevens players now so they got their first win of the campaign uh, against Italy um, which under the new management structure we, we were all very aware of the travails that the Irish structure have had and all the the gnashing of teeth and the shaking of fists about how things need to be turned around it's an interesting thing there where they've still gone with this hybrid of 15s and 7s setups. they're going to lose quite a few talented players um, someone who was a standout at the weekend although she had a try chopped off was uh, Amy Lee Murphy Crow mm. and um, players like that will be lost to the Allen setup. so there's a glimmer of an opportunity for Scotland and to be honest What's been the highlight of this tournament is not so much a team like England running riot, but more the games like Scotland and Wales that were incredibly close. So we hope that the teams underneath that continue to put on performances like that and matches like that. We do, but Stuart, would you agree with me that at a time when international rugby for the women needs less smashing huge victories, 
all they want is for Irish uh, sevens players to be buzzing off somewhere and leaving the Six Nations behind. It's absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I I look at the women's Six Nations and the 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 packaging is brilliant, and uh, no one will say a, a word against it. Uh, the product still leaves a bit to be desired because England are a really good team and they're hugely improved. Uh, and I like to watch them. But when Alan says, you know, it's not about England, perhaps this tournament, it's watching Ireland and Scotland and Wales. I'll be honest, the, the, the standard when they play each other just isn't high enough. Now, that's something that very few people will say, um, mm. but it's it's the problem of the women's game. And the most important thing that's happened to women's rugby this year was the notice that Wayne Smith was going to be playing a part trying to help the uh, the mm. Ferns mm. Uh, before the World Cup because England and women's rugby need New Zealand to be strong again. Otherwise, uh, we get into this procession and England can win the World Cup and it'll 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 be back pages and it'll be radio and it'll be television. But the the truth of it will be something different. Women's rugby needs competition to grow it doesn't need one very good team and and not much else and I, I, I do think that, that concerns me and, and can i just say as well i, I also yeah. um i'm not certain that i agree with alan about professionalizing the women's game in any way shape or form at the moment i think they should be professional in the fact they train a great deal which they do and their skill levels are high but if you look at where the game is at the moment professionally in Great Britain in particular is struggling. You know, we, we, we're about to go into, we are in economic hard times and I don't see paying a pittance to women rugby players. And that's all that can be paid because the market's not there. I don't see how that does anything except leave them exposed when their careers come to an end. Um, well, if we play the tape back, you'll see that I, I said that there was, renewed calls for more professionalisation and we will likely well there are hopes that we'll see that I'm not saying that that's exactly what should happen or I, I haven't, don't think I've given a view when you say exactly either way that, about that do you, do you think there should be professionalised rugby or not? Yeah, I don't know is the answer Stuart All right, I honestly fair, don't fair, know sometimes that's the best answer Al look the thing is we, we've paid people for years Stuart what, what the game couldn't afford and um I don't think we should be a bit harsh on the girls or the ladies if uh, we did this, we didn't do the same for them. But I, I look, I have to say this: that England may not have any tonic games, but I can tell you uh, honestly that the kids coming through 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and we've gone from my local club at Maine, we've gone from having four to nearly fifty absolutely love the England team. They love supporting yeah. them. They love going. They've been to all the games. And uh, it is it is certainly um, establishing a sort of forest fire in terms of people wanting to participate. There will come a time, well, I, definitely, I, definitely, when even the, even the girls will get bored with big victories. But I, think, I don't think there's much else you can do. You can't penalise no. England for being good, etc. And I think they should... Give them something to to, to improve and and uh, something to live on while they are improving. I, I, I really do. Now, well, Steve, I'm just, I'm, don't get me wrong. I think that they're a fabulous team. That you know, they're up there with a, a New Zealand team about four years ago. The 
best I've ever seen in women's rugby. And it's fantastic uh, when a team can inspire uh, as they are clearly doing. All power to them. Okay, that's um, basically that's the Six Nations carries on this week. We're now going to move on to God or Goddess of the Week. Uh, we'll go off with we'll go with you first, Al. Let's have your contender, please. Yep, uh, I considered giving a well, what, what you could call an albatross or a black cat or the undecided ladder award to Kevin Williams. Who, if you get a chance, go and watch the clip of of him hitting the post, trying to kick the ball out, the ball staying in field in Canada, scoring at the death, incredible. But in the end, I had to go for the Mark Evans patented devil of the week uh, for Tolu Latu. Uh, I mean, just a crazy number of cards this season. Six yellow, got second red at the, red at the weekend for taking a player out in the air against Racing. And I don't think there's anything more damning to say about Latu than his own coach, Gonzalo Quesada, who said after the match, I quote, the fault um, should be between Latu and the coaches. He's been doing the same thing for weeks. So it's also our fault for putting him on the pitch. I think that's incredibly damning. A coach regretting playing playing a player. Uh, so Latu... Head and shoulders above anyone else for Devil of the Week. That's pretty good. Uh, well, you can go, you can go, God or Goddess or Devil, Stuart. Uh, just very briefly, there, that comment was absolutely right. When you see these head on head tackles, coaches should be saying, Why aren't we coaching this out of the game? I'm thinking of the uh, Leicester Red card. Hmm. Coaches have got to say, We're responsible for this as well. A culture of our game has to act. But anyway, that's all a bit serious and dull. My God of the week, it has to be uh, an Ulster player. Winning in Toulouse is a gigantic achievement against DuPont and half the Grand Slam team. And to score a hat-trick, Robert Balakoon, uh, the young winger, has mm-hmm. to be the God of the week, towering from Olympus over everyone else. Blimey, Olympus, OK. Um so we got a, uh, we got a devil and a god. Mine, mine's going to be a god. I just think that um, that um, Zach Mercer um, was 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 forced out really by his own ambition, but by Eddie Jones because uh, he didn't want to stay. Well, probably didn't want to stay in the bathroom. He wasn't playing very well, uh, and could, and couldn't couldn't see anything in the future with with Eddie Jones. I would have kept him and fought to keep him. Uh, you never know what things are going to be like when you go abroad, but it was so lovely to see him play so well uh, for Montpellier. Um, it'd be nice to see him at Harlequins again do the same, put himself back in contention. He's still young enough to come again on the England scene, and for me, he is a better player than an awful lot of the contenders that England have been contending with for their number eight position. So that's Zach Mercer. I don't think we can... Uh, have an overall winner there, but we have got one devil. Uh, I think Balakum is a great uh, god. So uh, there we go. Um, that, that's the, um, the god or goddess of the week done. It's also very apposite that we mention someone who the game lost this week, Al. Yeah, I just wanted to take this opportunity to say a few words about Tom Smith. Um, you're right, rugby's lost a true gate of the great of the game, um, and I'm sure... You fellas can talk an awful lot about what it was like to watch him as he was coming through. Um, certainly this is a big deal for someone like myself who was a young loose head coming through in Dundee uh, where Tom Smith first cut his teeth um, when he was playing for Dundee High School FPs. Um, and I can tell you that the guy leaves 
a big footprint in fact a footprint big enough for 10 quiet menacing blokes um i just wanted to share a couple stories i've been speaking to some people about mm. uh, about tom and, and what he meant to everyone and a few stories about where he's come from um there's an awful lot that's been made about what a quiet force he was um when he was first coming through Dundee, there's an awful lot of stories about uh, what kind of player he was. This is a guy who played number eight as well as in the front row uh, at age grade level. Uh, there's an <laughs> there's an apocryphal story, but I suppose legends probably deserve legends uh, of themselves about when he was uh, playing at, um, at a youth international match. The coach shouted from the touchline, you're wearing number one on your jersey, not number 10. Mm-mm. But that's kind of fitting because he was a guy that had a skill set that set him apart from everyone else and when he grew into the game he really stood out people will talk about his his scrummaging prowess and uh, you know Stuart I'm sure could wax lyrical about that Um, but also just what he brought around the park it was something different and it's it's telling that a guy could traverse the the turning of the mat uh, of the game to professionalism into running into 2009 for for the Saints, just turning in performance after performance, uh, a legend for Scotland and for the British and Irish Lions. Um, you listen to some of the stories that other people have shared about him, I, I've seen over the last week, um, Chris Custer talking about how terrified he was to get a whisper in the ear after hitting a bag too boisterously in his first Scotland camp. Uh, I heard a sponsor talking about how he got a quiet word in his ear about making Tom pose in a few silly positions with a with a certain sponsors accoutrement and uh, deciding never to ask him to do that again <laughs> uh, there was a story I saw from Gordon Bullock who was called up late to the Lions tour uh, and then when he came on in the first test the heat of battle and Tom Smith just turns to him and says something along the lines of same as usual and just knocked in this is a guy who everyone will tell you didn't have much to say but when he did it really mattered he talked with his performances on the pitch um a lovely bloke um and there was another one last story I want to share it's and this comes from my father who was lucky enough to play a coach and play with with Tommy um who said that one of the last times he spoke to him face to face he bumped into him in the, uh, the 2017 Lions tour we were all there and it was after the first test in Auckland um and my father asked him, "Were you at the Eden Park to watch the match?" And he said, "No, actually, I was at uh, I was at Dan Carter's house to watch the game." And he he actually made a request that I speak to him in French the whole time, so that he could brush up on the language, but also I suspect because he didn't want to have to talk to anyone else when he could be talking to a bona fide legend about rugby. <laughs> um, so just wanted to share a little bit about Tom, and you know we wish all the best to his his young family taken away from us too soon, but. I can guarantee he's a man that will never be forgotten. Okay, that's it for this week. I think we've uh, turned over every dusty corner of the game and a few more. Next week, uh, we'll be reflecting on the second legs of the Champions Cup games. Thank you to Stuart. Thank you for uh, to Big Al. And thanks for our producer. Um, and back next week. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.